0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message.
1: We're going to begin reading in verse number one in just the first three verses to begin with. Find your place there. Follow along as I read verse number one. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. Let's bow forward a prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us tonight so far and thus far in the song service, and Lord, I pray that you bless now in the preaching of your word. We thank you for those who have gathered together here tonight, and I pray that you would simply, Lord, speak to our heart through the word of God, and that the Holy Spirit of God would would have free course and free reign in our life tonight. Lord, I pray that we might give attention to him as he speaks to us, Give attention to the Word of God as it's preached. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we come to the book of Jonah tonight, Jonah is probably one of the most familiar of all of the Old Testament minor prophets uh, that we've come to thus far. Uh, It's not Obadiah, it's not uh, Nahum, as we're seeing in a few weeks, it's not uh, Habakkuk, it's not Haggai, it's not Hosea. Uh, Jonah, Uh, we've known about Jonah and we've heard the story of Jonah in the well. Uh, since the earliest of Sunday school age. The account of Jonah is also well known because it's one in the Bible that's uh, attacked by critics. And the attack comes from the point of view and from the uh, argument, can can a man really be swallowed by a fish and live there for three days? And so we know the story well. And in that, There is sometimes, as we are familiar with this story, there's sometimes a direction that we always take when we read the story and we come to it or we hear preaching on it or we even teach it ourselves. And many times the direction is this, and we see it from the perspective of God being a God of second chances. And that's true. But something takes place before we get to the second chance. And that's going to be our R word tonight that I'm going to give you later but first of all, I want to take you on a survey through the book of Jonah, just four chapters. And no way are we going to attempt to exhaust everything in the book or even read most of the book. But I do want to take you through the book here and help us to get an understanding of some things that God has given me as I've studied this. But also just a, a very familiar uh, reminder and a, a good grasp of the book. We first of all see in verse number one, we find the prophet. The Bible says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Uh, Sometimes we're inclined to think that Jonah is only found in the book of Jonah as he writes this book from a third person point of view. But Jonah is found in 2 Kings chapter number 14 and 15. And we're told he's from a small city by the name of Gath-Hefer. And it is just to the west of the Sea of Galilee. And Jonah actually prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom of Israel and jonah we would have we would have thought of him and they would have thought of him as a as a patriot Uh, jonah preached uh, some favorable messages uh, to the people of god in israel how that they would uh defeat syria and different cities and win different battles and so for the most part jonah was very well liked and very well loved among the people of israel so you can imagine when he is called by god and we'll look at that in a moment to go to the assyrian capital of Nineveh, that is the last place in the world a patriot of Israel wants to go to. It's also interesting, the book of Jonah, it's the only instance that we have of a prophet being sent to a heathen nation in the Old Testament. It's also the only instance where a prophet refuses to carry out his commission that God has given him. So we find the prophet, but notice next the plan. God says in verse number two, "Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city." And God says, "I want you to cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me." So God's plan and God's will for Jonah's life was very very simple, and it was summed up in the fact that I want you to go there. I want you to travel there. It is a, it's a great city. Their their wickedness, their sin is is come up before me. And Jonah, it is your job, and it is my will that you go and cry against them, preach against them, lift up your voice against the sin of the city of Nineveh. So what's the place? The place is, of course, the city of Nineveh. If you've read much history and studied the Bible much, you know that Nineveh was one of the most wicked cities in Old Testament ancient Bible times. Uh, No one wanted to go to Nineveh. Uh, They've even said the Ninevites didn't like being Ninevites uh, because they were so so wicked. Uh, they They were brutal. I'm not going to preach Nahum, but we'll look at Nahum in a few weeks. And Nahum uh, chronicles uh, their bloodshed and their their thirst for blood. Uh, When they would go and conquer a city, and Assyria reigned through the city of Nineveh and had their world power through them for some 200 200, uh, years, two centuries. And throughout that time, as they would come to a city to conquer it, you really had two choices, and one was bad and one was worse. One was give yourself up to them and face all of the atrocities of the Ninevite and the Assyrian uh, uh, rule and reign over you, or you try to fight it out and live against them and face all of the atrocities of them coming in and taking over. They would impale men and listen to them scream and cry. They would fillet people alive. They would take women and children and murder them, and their blood would be in the streets. Nineveh was such a wicked place that when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Nineveh and Assyria at the age of 21, Nebuchadnezzar was a man to to stand against himself. He was a a wicked man full of rage and a a heathen ruler. But when Nebuchadnezzar, they say when he came and when he conquered Assyria and conquered Nineveh, he plowed up and he turned up the city in such a way and he, he plowed and sowed salt all over the city of Nineveh so that it wasn't until the 1800s, they say, that archeologists have even found there was a Nineveh. That's how much the city is hated by the people. Jonah as well being part of that. So we find the prophet, the plan, the place. But notice in verse number three, I call this the passing. Jonah tells God essentially, no thanks. God, I know your will, God, I know your desire for my life, God, I know your desire for the people of Nineveh, Nineveh but, but no thanks, I'm, I'm going to do something else. Notice the Bible says that the last part of verse number three, the Bible says, he says, the Bible says to go with them unto Tarshish from, notice that word there, from the presence of the Lord. That is the point of Nehemiah's, or, or excuse me, Jonah's fleeing, from the presence of Of the Lord anytime you and I flee from God's will you are not fleeing from a job you are not fleeing from a church you are not fleeing from a locality you are not fleeing from from problems when you flee from the will of God you are fleeing from God and that is what we find Jonah at this place he is he is full knowing and full willing to flee from the presence of what God had wanted him to do Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove, notice this, what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. we find here as we look at the passing Jonah, the will of God was not good, acceptable, nor perfect to Jonah. Jonah wanted nothing to do with the will of God. And so in his passing, the Bible describes he goes down to Joppa. Joppa was about 500 miles from where Jonah lived. And so Jonah travels 500 miles, and then he gets on a ship to go to sell to Tarshish. Tarshish was over 2,000 miles to the west through the Mediterranean towards Spain. So Jonah not only has 500 miles to fully think about this plan of what he desires to do, he has had this fully thought out, he is fully engrossed and involved in going against the will of God for his life. Notice the plea. We know the story how that he gets on that ship, fleeing from the presence of God. God sends the great wind. The mariners there are crying out to their gods. They wake up Jonah and said, why don't you cry out to your God? And notice the plea in verse number eight. And they said unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thy occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and dry land. I want you to notice as we look at this, a lot of times when we're reading this and even telling this story, I think sometimes we look and we begin reading in verse number eight and nine, and we think, well, Jonah's... Jonah's saying this with a tear in his eye and a quiver in his voice. You know, I'm the one. I'm I'm a Hebrew, and I I shouldn't be doing this, and I shouldn't be here. But remember, Jonah, at this point, is still hard-hearted. Jonah is a man that is out of the will of God. Jonah is a man that is not doing right with God. And Jonah is full willing to say, I'm out of God's will. You ever met anybody like that? I know I have. Sometimes you meet people along life's way and you work with people in God's service and you try to minister to people and you try to help people along life's way and there will be people that you meet that are headlong into going against the will of God for their life and they will be as bold and as brazen as they can be and they will raise their hand and they will say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Baptist, I'm an independent fundamental Baptist, but I am out of the will of God. And that's what we find Jonah doing here with these mariners He's hard-hearted, he's unwilling to do what God says, and he's, he's admitting it. Notice he says in verse number 12, take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. And notice what he says here, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. So we come to the punishment in verse number 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. In case you're wondering, In case you doubt it, Jesus called it a well in Matthew chapter 12. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God prepared that punishment to turn his man back around to get him to the place and the point of his life where he was going to have to make another decision. Am I willing to continue to go against the will of God or am I willing to soften my heart and do what God has called me to do? We find the prayer in chapter number 2. Chapter number two is oftentimes overlooked in an overlooked portion of the story, but the bulk of chapter number two, except for two verses, include the prayer of Jonah that he prays as he is in the belly of the whale. Verse number one says, then, so that's after the three days and three nights, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Notice in verse number four, we see a a breaking and a, a softening of Jonah's heart. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet so Jonah says this is my condition. I've been here 3 days and 3 nights. It's not looking good. I've gone against God's will. He's punished me. I've stood head headlong in the face of going against what God wants. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. I have to think here Jonah was simply wondering can God give me a second chance? Could God, would God give me a second chance? Maybe you're here tonight and you find yourself like Jonah, wandering away, maybe not physically or geographically yet, but wandering away mentally and spiritually from where you know God wants you to be. Could I ask maybe if you would soften your heart tonight and maybe think a little bit along the lines of Jonah, that this is my condition, this is where I'm at, and I'm even in full well acknowledging that I'm out of the will of God, but would God, could God, maybe might God receive me again? Can I tell you tonight, he will, he wants to, and Jonah says, I will look again toward thy holy hill, maybe, maybe just perchance God will have and give me a second chance He says in verse number nine, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. We saw Jonah's prayer. Now look with me in chapter number three. We see the preaching. God gives Jonah a second chance. By the way, in verse number 10, the Bible says, and the Lord spake unto the fish and vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. I had several people give me our words out of respect to verse number 10, but I've passed over those. And verse number four of chapter three says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the preaching. Just eight words. Some of you would like an eight word message sometime. That's all it was. The Bible says he begins traveling. It was a great city. It was a large city. It took three days to go around, and Jonah gets one day in the city, and he begins preaching that eight-word message, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It wasn't a message of salvation. That's not a message of God's grace. That's not a message of uh, forgiveness. There's room at the cross for you. It wasn't a message like that at all. It was a message of God's judgment is coming, and that's it. It was condemnation of their sin. But because there was clear condemnation of their sin, there was conviction. I want to challenge you tonight when we are winning souls and we are reaching people with the gospel, if we make clear their need of a Savior, there will be no need to convince them of salvation. When you make the need of sin clear and you make the punishment of sin clear, people want to be saved. They will come to the place where they desire a Savior and you simply lead them to the cross of Jesus Christ and it's like you're introducing you are a sinner, you need a Savior and here's the Savior right here and they join hands and you meet them and reach them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not a message of repentance. It was not a message of salvation. It was a message of condemnation. But notice we find a penitent heart in verse number 9. He says, Who can tell they say, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? After the preaching of Jonah, the Ninevites put themselves in sackcloth and ashes from the greatest to the least, from the people to the pets. All of them, animals and people, have sackcloth and ashes on. And they, and they ask this question Who can tell? Maybe, just, just perhaps, if God might turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. What we find is a people who have totally placed themselves at the mercy of God as their only hope. Isn't that simply what you and I have done when we've cried out for salvation? We have simply placed our trust and faith in Jesus Christ as our only hope of salvation. No church, no work, no baptism, no ordinance, nothing else, simply to the cross I cling. We see the penitent heart there, As you come to the end of chapter number three, the Bible says, And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. I wrote in my Bible right there, mission accomplished. Job had done his job, excuse me, Jonah had done his job, and as far as we're concerned and as far as Jonah is concerned, really no more should be heard of Jonah. Jonah. But what does the Bible say in verse number 1 of chapter 4? But we find now the pouting. Jonah was angry over God's mercy to the people of Nineveh. He says in verse number 2, this is the reason why. He says, therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Jonah needed to remember chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation is of the Lord. After the Ninevites repent and turn to God, Jonah stops being willing to see others receive what he had even received himself. Jonah got a second chance. God heard Jonah's prayer, but Jonah was not willing to see someone else get a second chance. Jonah was not willing for God to hear someone else's prayer. We oftentimes sing that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. But don't forget about that second part that saved a wretch like me. So many times we believe, yes, God's amazing grace was wonderful, but I wasn't such a wretch as so-and-so. I didn't need salvation as much as so-and-so did. And that's the exact same thing that Jonah for God. Without Jonah recalling chapter 2 and verse number 9, we have no second chance for him and we have no repentance in Nineveh. We see the pouting, but then we see, lastly in verse number 11 of chapter 4, we see the pity. God asked Jonah a second time in verse number 9, doest thou well to be angry? The first time Jonah didn't answer him. The second time Jonah says, yeah, I do well to be angry. I want to be angry. I've, I've got, a, I've got, a, I've got a, a bone to pick with you, God. And God said to Jonah, Thou hast hast pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And notice the contrast. Jonah, Jonah has a very temporal view, Jonah is only focused upon his physical needs. Jonah's only focused upon what what matters to him and what will make him comfortable or what will make him uncomfortable. But God contrasted and says in verse number 11, and should not I, Jonah, if you had that much compassion, compassion, shouldn't I have compassion on a city, a great city, where there's more than 120,000 children, people who can't discern their left hand from their right hand? Tonight, when we look at the book of Jonah, there are many things that you could emphasize and even preach a message upon, even series upon. You could talk about things that God sent. God sent the wind. God sent the whale. God sent the gourd. God sent the worm. And again, we've already talked about it, but people will argue till they're blue in the face about whether it was a whale that swallowed Jonah or it was a big fish. People will argue, did Jonah die during those three days or was he actually alive? As very plainly and as very frankly as I can say tonight, I don't believe that we have time for doubts and debates. Because the central idea that God is giving us here and the message is this, what we have is a Christian who is not obedient to God and we have a people who need to hear of God's salvation. We have our R word here at the end of chapter 2 in the last part of Jonah's prayer in verse number 9. He says, salvation is of the Lord. Jonah has come to an end of himself. He's gotten right with God. And in verse number 9, we see that Jonah recalls. Recall. Jonah recalls that he doesn't have a market on salvation. Jonah is saying, I'll finally do what I'm supposed to do. God, you've called me in native, and I've, I've rejected it. I, I've, been, I've been bold and brazen of my rejection of it, but finally now I've come to the place where I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. I've asked for a second chance, and you've given it to me, and now I recall, now I remember, now I bring to recollection that salvation doesn't belong to me. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen. Tonight we know that salvation is hit, wrought by God. It's paid for by the Son. It's sealed by the Spirit. And oh, listen to me tonight, it's not up to you and it's not up to me to keep it from some and give it to others. Jonah calls to remembrance a very specific thing that you and I must never forget. And that is salvation is of the Lord. As I read verse number nine, as I studied this, verse number nine jumped out at me and I felt like shouting out to Jonah. Jonah, you're right. Salvation is of the Lord. And God wants all men everywhere to repent. Yes, even the Ninevites. We might be thinking tonight, well, you know, come on, that 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 makes common sense. Why why would that why would that strike Jonah in such a way? Why would that be something that, that Jonah had to recall and that Jonah really really had to bring back? But how often are you and I just like Jonah? And the fact that in our minds we have preconceived ideas and notions about Who will receive the gospel message if we tell them, and who will not receive the gospel message if we tell them? So we sit back and we think and we wonder, should I tell them or should I not, before we've ever even given them the gospel? We need to recall that salvation is of the Lord. Without Jonah recalling this fact, we never see him getting a second chance. And without Jonah recalling this fact, we never see Nineveh turning to God in repentance So, as Jonah looked upon the city in chapter number four, he was angry. He pouted because God spared it. What Jonah did is that Jonah lacked what our Savior had when Jesus looked upon the multitudes in Matthew chapter number nine. Turn with me there, if you would, Matthew chapter nine and verse 36. A familiar passage, two verses here Matthew chapter nine and verse number 36. The Bible says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. If you and I are going to constantly keep in mind what Jonah was forced to recall in the belly of the well, we're going to have to have a heart and compassion of our Savior for the multitudes that that is so easy to lose today in our society. The Bible says in verse thirty six, He was moved with compassion. I want to give you four quick things tonight. First of all, we know that Jesus died for every person. Amen. Jesus died for every person. The Bible says, Whosoever will may come. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, it wasn't up to Jonah, and it's not up to you and me to decide who gets the gospel and who doesn't. Jesus died for every person. Why? Because every person needs to be saved. And because Jesus died for every person, and because every person needs to be saved, that means every person needs to hear the salvation message. Jesus died for every person, but secondly, Jesus saw no person was overlooked. Jesus saw no person was overlooked. When Jesus walked on this earth, when you read the Gospels, you find that He dealt with the poor and He dealt with the rich. He dealt with the the young children. He said, "Suffer the little children to come unto Me, for such is the kingdom of heaven." But He also dealt with the with the very old. Hey, he even dealt with the alive and the dead. There was no one that came to Jesus that he did not deal with. Now, tonight, I don't know what direction you lean. But some always have a burden for the down and outers, and they forget about the up and comers. Some lean the other way and only witness to the rich people and successful in this world and don't think twice about the down and outers. Most likely because of your personality, most likely because of your upbringing, most likely because of your salvation testimony, you are inclined to be more comfortable with witnessing to and approaching either one or the other. You and I as God's people tonight, we must recall like Jonah did that salvation is of the Lord. And it doesn't matter the status or the class of a person, they are a soul that needs a Savior. Savior. Sometimes I think in our soul winning efforts, we're inclined to be more bold sometimes. Sometimes we're inclined to be more more confident with a certain group of people over another group of people. You say, which one is that? Well, it differs by every person, no matter what you're comfortable with. And we even tend to look at a person's body that's marred and marked up with the signs of this world and sin. And we know that they need to be saved, obviously, but sometimes we're practical Calvinist in the fact that we say someone else will tell them. No, Jonah, God wants all men everywhere to repent. Salvation is of the Lord. And that means you and I don't get to decide who gets the gospel and who doesn't get the gospel. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus died for everyone. Jesus saw no person was overlooked. Thirdly, everyone has a limited time. The Bible describes that the people of Nineveh, God told Jonah that they had 40 days. 40 days. That was their time limit to when God was going to cut them off and they were going to be destroyed. And Jonah was was to preach during that allotted time and preach that judgment was coming. We don't know tonight how much time the lost person has that you'll meet. But we do know the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that it is appointed unto man once to die. Jesus had compassion on the multitudes in contrast to Jonah's indifference. Jonah knew the 40 days was coming, but Jonah simply said, I don't care. I'm more concerned with a gourd in my comfort and a worm that, that, that ruined it than I am with people's souls that are dying and going to hell. We must always keep in mind that there are 7 billion people in counting who have a clock that is ticking. And when they die, they will either go to a devil's hell or they will go to heaven, either one or the other but their clock is ticking. Everyone has a limited time. And then fourthly, lastly tonight, we see those who die unharvested are lost forever. Those who die unharvested are lost forever. In this life, there are no redos. So because there's no redos in this life, I've got to ever keep before me the fact that salvation is of the Lord. So because of that, as a child of God, and as I oftentimes, and I hope we all would do this as well, we try to recall that fact that salvation is of the Lord, and Jesus died for everyone, and Jesus saw no person was overlooked, and everyone has a limited time, we ought to continually recall that, and as a child of God, because of that, I cannot sit back and say, I'll tell this person, but I won't tell this person. You and I can't do that as God's people. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they're involved in. As we close tonight, I want us to be mindful. Jesus did not see people by their nationality, the clothes they wore, or how sin had ruined their bodies. He saw them as a soul that needed a savior. He said, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What can a prophet if a man gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? So many times when we go down the pathway of life, we're walking through work, we're walking down the city streets, we're in shopping malls, we're in the grocery stores. We see the person by the clothes they wear. We see the person by how their body is marked up and marred by sin. We see them by what they are wearing. We see them by who they are with. And we think, and we say, well, this person is that, and that person is that, and someone will reach them and bless their heart, and I pray that God has mercy upon them. Instead of realizing that that person is, not just has, Listen, he is, or they are, an eternal soul. That will go to heaven or that will go to hell. Who is tonight? I wonder who God has placed on the pathway of your life. And you need to recall the fact, like Jonah did, that salvation is of the Lord. It's not up to you and me to wonder if they're going to respond or not. It's not up to you and me to wonder and sit back and, and twiddle our thumbs and, and wring our hands and say, well, I'm afraid of what they might say and I'm afraid of what they might, how they might take me and I'm afraid of what they might do after in our relationship with after I tell them about Christ. I'm afraid of all of this. It's not up to you and me to decide that. Why? Salvation is of the Lord. It's not up to me to debate in my mind what they'll do with the gospel. You and I simply need to obey and to go with a heart of compassion.